life has been so good, I can't complain. And when I'm down, God gives me strength to rise again. And when I'm weary from the struggles of it all, I just listen, oh, I listen to his all the time seems like lately heaven's always on my mind someday i'm gonna leave it all behind sounding sweeter all the time. Oh, it's hard to lose a loved one to the grave. But we have the blessed hope that Jesus gave. God's gonna wipe the tears from our eyes when we meet in that land beyond the all the time seems like lately heaven's always on my mind oh someday i'm gonna leave it all behind hey, sounding sweeter all the time. Yes, someday I'm gonna leave it all behind. Heaven sounding sweeter all the time. Thank you, Rhonda. You absolutely blessed us this morning. Amen. Thank you, and thank you for being ready on such uh, short notice. I appreciate that. Well, if you have your Bible or something to open the Bible, if you will, open it up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, continuing on with this beautiful chapter of Psalm. And as you find your place, I remember when I was a kid in our neighborhood, uh, 
there were a bunch of kids that were my brother's ages. Now, my brothers were quite a bit, are, and they still are, quite a bit older than me. There's, uh, one is nine years older, the other one is six years older. And yet, I still wanted to go out and play with them, especially when we'd have a good old tackle football match in the backyard. And most of the kids in our neighborhood were my brother's ages, and so I was usually playing with the big kids. There was one other kid that was my age, and he generally didn't want to come over when we were playing tackle football because we got kind of rough. Well, anyway, there was this one time, and it was the very first time that uh, I got, you, you've ever heard this expression, had the breath knocked out of you, or had the wind knocked out of you, something like that. I remember I had the football, and I got knocked down by one of these big kids, and that football just right in my gut, and, and boy, I just, I couldn't breathe, and I remember laying there and thinking, well, this is it, goodbye, cruel world, and uh, one of my brothers informed me, oh, get up, you just got the breath knocked out of you. You know, I'm older now, and it seems like sometimes life knocks the breath out of us, seems like we're gasping for air because we're constantly being troubled by something in this world, either in our personal lives or in the lives of those that we know. In 1967, two clinical psychiatrists performed a study on 5,000 medical uh, records. And what they were trying to discover was a link between stress and grief and how it manifested itself in physical illnesses. That's now known as the Rahi Holmes Stress Scale, and it lists 43 life events that cause stress and grief in your life. Look it up. and You'll probably say, yeah, I've been through a lot of those. A lot of them. My wife and I remember this skill. She was a psychology major in, in college, along with being a biology major as well. But I, I remember looking at this skill. We remember talking about it because in the first 18 months of our marriage, we went through several of the top 10 of those uh, stress uh, bringing grief-breathing events. We had a death of a, of a close family member. Marriage is a very stressful event. Uh, and then within like the first 18 months, she got pregnant. Uh, after our marriage, I mean, so if y'all are counting or anything like that, uh, it was all legal. Uh, anyway, and, and so we had all, and we moved, and I changed jobs, and, and we had just all these different things. Stress happens in life. Stress is going to happen, and, and when stress happens, what that does is it leads to grief, especially if we don't know how to deal with that stress in a healthy, uh, God-ordained way. Grief is the subject of this scripture this morning, and how God gives us what we need to cope with grief in our lives, so we don't have to do it on our own, which is really good news, because when we are left to our own devices, that's when we really generally destroy ourselves, is when we're trying to deal with grief or trying to deal with stress in our lives, instead of going and coping with it in a way, in a manner in which God has really outlined for us in His Word. Well, let's read our scripture. We're in Psalm 119, verses 25 uh, through 32. It says, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul, 
soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, do not put me to shame. Verse 32, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place right now. We believe, and I trust in that fact right there that uh, it is not me working. It is you, your word, your Holy Spirit working in this place. And I pray, Lord, that you would effect change in each and every one of us from the inside out. It's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen. The title of this sermon, Clinging to the Dust, Clinging to Dust, comes from the first word in the Hebrew language of this section. Remember Psalm 119, 22 sections. Each section begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The next letter in the Hebrew alphabet in this section or that begins this section is Daleth, which has that D sound, similar to our English language D sound, and it begins the Hebrew word Daba, which is translated in my text, cling, clinging to dust. I, my soul, is clinging to dust. Some of your versions might say cleaving to dust. That works well. It's an idea that you're glued to it. You are stuck to it. Some of your versions will say I'm laying in the dust or something like that, And I'm not picking on Bible translations at all, but you need to understand what the author, what the psalmist is trying to say is that he is hanging on to dear life, to dust. And that's that's not to say he's taking a nap, but that he is stressed about life and his life is filled with grief. Because grief happens. I remember as a kid, I loved reading Charlie Brown. You remember one of his famous statements? He would say, good grief. When I was real young, I didn't know how to say that word, and so I would say, good grief. What is that, right? Good grief. As I got older, I thought, how can grief be good? Possibly. How could grief be good? I think we can all agree grief happens. We can also agree that grief is bad. As I mentioned before, these psychologists, they came up with a list of 43 of the the stressful events in our lives that lead to grief and eventually manifest themselves in illnesses. But I can break them down into one singular event. And I encourage you to go look at this and and if you have a different idea. But I I looked through this list again as I was preparing this week. And basically, I I would bring it down to one basic idea. It revolves around loss. What causes grief in our life, really, it revolves around loss. Let me give you uh, what I mean. For instance, loss of possessions. Whether it's through a tragic event or a storm or theft or fire or, or whatever, the loss of possessions can cause stress and grief in our life. If it was necessary to our living, then we are grieved with having to replace it. If it was sentimental then we are grieved with never being able to replace it again or the losing the history of that sentimental piece. The loss of possession uh, can hurt us deeply because we think, well, man, I used to have this. I, I've known people 20 years later that will say, man, I used to have a 78 Corvette. Whether you realize it or not, that's, that's a hint of grief. They've lost that possession. 
grief over loss. Another type of loss is loss of control or our flawed sense of control anyway. Loss of control, when tragedy of any level occurs, it causes us to realize how little we are in control, right? I mean, when something bad happens, we're like, why didn't I keep that from happening? And you have to come to terms with the, with the fact. You couldn't. There was nothing you could do to keep that from happening. We realize that we can keep people from hurting us or stealing from us if we do this, this, and this, but generally it's after the fact. That's why we say things like hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's because we were out of control in a certain situation and we realize we don't have actual control. We can't control weather. We can't control other people's driving. Least of all, we cannot control God's sovereign hand over all things. It's a grief-filled experience when we recognize and realize we're not in control. For some of this, that causes more grief than we realize. Loss of health. It could be our own. It could be the health of a loved one. Failing health is a grief-causing issue. Grief caused because we're reminded of how horrible our health insurance is or how no one seems to be doing anything about how outrageously expensive health insurance is, right? Just to go get a routine checkup. That can bring in stress in and of itself and grief. Or maybe because what our loss of health does is remind us of how short life is, reminds us that we are all getting older from the moment of birth we are all headed in the same direction, death. The moment we are born, we're all headed to the grave. And that can cause some grief. Loss of health, loss of health. How about loss of relationships? Some of the biggest, the biggest stress-filled events are divorce, separation in marriage, moving, because you're moving away from friends and family and what's familiar. Any type of change in our relationships can cause great stress in our life. Marriage is one of the top stress-causing, grief-causing issues. Because, well, not just because of the marriage ceremony, because marriage is a happy time. It's supposed to be a happy time in our lives. But it is a major grief-causing issue because our relationships are changing forever on a different level, right? Once you become married, you're no longer single. And you can't relate to people in the same way. So all of those relationships are now lost. You can still be friends with your buds and go fishing with them, but it's not the same as when you were single, guys, right? I always tell men especially, you need to be mindful that your wife wants to spend lots and lots and lots of time. Love equals time. That's often how they relate that. So that type of loss of relationship. There's also the loss of relationship with God that can be a grief-causing issue in our life because of sin. Sin hinders us in so many ways. And sin unconfessed can cause grief in our lives because we know in our heads and our hearts that we have wronged the one who loves us most. And then, I mean, the most basic one is loss of life. The death of someone very close, a spouse, parent, child, whether even it's just a friend, if they're close to us, if we have an emotional attachment to us, that can bring grief. 
And if we don't deal with grief in the right way, then it manifests itself in some very unhealthy ways. Now, some of these overlap. You might have your own categories. You may be saying, well, what about the loss of such and such? You may say, well, this isn't a loss, and it causes grief in my life. Listen, the point isn't to exhaust the ways in which we can be grieved. The point is for us to recognize grief happens in our life. Grief happens on a regular basis. And the point for us all is to come to that decisive conclusion that not only does grief happen, but we've got to do something with it. Something happens in our life. And something had happened in the life of this psalmist. He doesn't really give us a clear indicator of what has happened, but something has happened, and it has knocked the breath out of him. The psalmist doesn't give us, uh, again, a clear indication of what causes grief, but there are several statements he makes. I want to just point out three real quickly to you that he makes that, that let us know he's feeling some grief. The first one is that first statement, my soul clings to dust. My soul clings to dust. Dust was something this culture would often throw on themselves or lay in to show the emotion of deep grief because this culture knew and they believed how they were created was that God gathered together dust and so they would often say things and you might hear a preacher at a funeral say something like this from dust I came to dust I return right and so when he says this my soul clings to dust what he is really saying is I am so grieved I am longing for death have you ever been so grieved that you wish God would just take you home? Listen, I talk to a lot of folks generally in their older, advanced years, and they say things like, I don't know why I'm still here. That is a grieving heart that is saying, I'm clinging to dust. I'm ready. Life keeps knocking the breath out of me, and I don't want to be here anymore. Another statement he says is, my soul melts from heaviness. There's an interesting history behind this phrase that occurs a few times in, in scriptures, in the, in the scriptures, and what it is usually associated with is sin, either personal sin or the sin of the environment that you are in. My soul melts from heaviness. Perhaps one of the greatest hindrances to our relationship with God is because of sin. Sin that we don't know how to properly deal with. It's either to one extreme or the other. We're either flippant or ignorant or we don't care about that sin or we go to the other extreme and we are totally, constantly hung up and grieved, constantly grieved because of sin, living with guilt, thinking God doesn't love us or there's no way He could possibly save us because of our sin. This is why a lot of people keep getting re-saved is because they think their sin is too heavy of a burden for God to deal with. My soul melts from heaviness. So it could be personal sin, or it could be of the sin of the environment around him. Do you ever just look at the darkness in your world and just your heart sinks because you see what's going on? Sometimes I have trouble sleeping, and I make the mistake of turning on the TV, and boy, the commercials that come on at 1 o'clock in the morning are way... The bad, there are bad ones in the afternoon, but boy, the ones in the evening, some of their advertising, it makes my heart melt to know this is the culture I live in. Perhaps that's what the psalmist is dealing with. Then he also he makes this 
statement. He says, remove from me the way of lying. It could be that the psalmist was caught in a lie. It could be that he was exhausted from the lies about him. Remember last week we talked about slander. He was dealing with slander. Or it could have a deeper meaning because the father of lies is Satan. He could be saying to God, remove from me the way of Satan. I don't want anything to do with him, God. He has grieved me deeply in my life. I don't even want to go his direction, Lord. But again, the purpose of Psalm 119 Verses 25 through 32 isn't to talk about the cause of the grief, though we need to understand there are things that happen that cause grief in our life, but instead it is to talk about the solution to grief. Because God is a God of solutions. And in His written word, He has given us the greatest solution to our daily, weekly, lifelong grief-causing issues. The world says, go take a walk. Eat healthy. Go do this. And those are good grief relieving, stress-relieving activities. Absolutely, I like taking a walk. But nothing will relieve your grief and your stress like the Word of God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And the good news of God's Word is, is that I never read in the Bible Him telling truly grieved people, just get over it. He doesn't say that. That's, that's the good news of God's Word, is He doesn't tell truly grieved people, just stop it, grow up. But instead, he tells us, walk in this way. He inspires his writers to say, look to my word. Direct your path according to my instructions on how to live in spite of, despite of, in light of, above the grief in your life. There's two words in this scripture that we need to apply to our lives in the grief that we experience. The first one is this, choose. The psalmist says, Choose. In verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. He's talking about God's word. The first ver- uh, that, that verse, cho- uh, that word choose is Hebrew for choose. Making a decision, planting a stake in the ground. This is what I will do. The psalmist is grieved, and while he could wallow in his grief, yearning to be bathed in his self pity, he makes a choice. I choose God's way of truth. It reminds me that we all have before us, every single day, choices. And the biggest choice of all is whether we will trust God and His Word for our whole life, or if we will pick and choose which instruction sounds good to us. Pick and choose which ones that we like or make us comfortable. The gospel isn't just for getting our life insurance. The word of God isn't just to make sure we don't go to hell. But it is a path by which we can run. A light that will light our everyday living. Which leads me into an important question that we must ask ourselves. When you open this book and you read God's word, is it informational or is it instructional? When I prepare my messages, I try to include include historical and grammatical information because I know some people like that. I know that because I like it. There's a few, so I don't put a lot into it because if I do too much, then those who don't really care for that get kind of bored. But the Bible is not just full of historical information. It is full of important instructions. God's instructions for our lives 
if we will trust him. If we will trust him. Listen to these statements he makes in verses 30 through 32. He says, your judgments I have laid before me. Meaning that the psalmist has put the word of God before his life and is using it as the measuring rod for his life. I have chosen the way of truth and it is the judgments or the word of the Lord. I have chosen that for my way. Next he says, I cling to your testimonies. Do not put me to shame. Meaning, I will hold on to your word, Lord. By the way, that's the same Hebrew word he began this section with. My soul clings to deaths. But now in verse 31, what does he say? Because in verse 30, he chose. Now verse 31, I will cling instead to your testimonies. I was hoping for death. Now I'm clinging to your word. Now I'm hoping in your word. And because I cling to it, because I hold on to it, I will not be put to shame. His request to be kept from shame isn't about God protecting him as much as he realizes the protection against shame comes from following God's instructions for his life. And then in the one final statement he makes, he says, I will run the course of your commandments, meaning that he recognizes the unique way in which God's word lights his path and leads him. He isn't carefully plotting his course, right? He doesn't say, I'm hiking or I'm walking or I'm carefully uh, 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 plotting my path, but he says, I will run. Now, I don't run unless something is chasing me. If you ever see me running, you better start running too, right? But when you run, you kind of know where you're going, right? Because running is faster than walking. He is running full steam ahead because he trusts in the Lord's word. He has chosen to trust in this over everything else he knows. These are not the statements of someone who is going to let their grief rule their life, but they are going to let God and his word direct their life. Teach me your statutes. Repetitive statement throughout the psalm. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on them. The psalmist wants to know God's word, but not for the sake of information, but for instruction for his life. He knows this is the very best path for him to take. The biggest difference between something being informational and something being instructional is application. Do you read God's word and look for ways to apply it to your life? When I read God's word, there's three things I usually ask myself. What is God saying right here? What is God saying to me right here? What is God directing me to do right now? Do you read God's word with an idea for application? Information? Or instruction. The second word, and this usually is the reason God's word is not instructional to us, is he says, revive me. Did you notice that? The very first verse, my soul clings to the dust, revive me. Which basically means the psalmist is looking to God's word to put life back into him. My soul clings to the dust. I'm wanting death. I am longing for this life to be over. Revive me. That word revive means life, to live. 
It also can mean to put life back in. To revive means to resuscitate, to breathe life back in, to bring something back to life. And the message of the psalmist is clear. Life has knocked the breath out of me. God, would you please put it back in me according to your word? You know, there's a lot of interest in spiritual things nowadays, or so we're told, but often that interest does not translate to a word I like to call inspiration. When you read God's word, do you read it because it's interesting or because it's inspirational? It inspires you. There's a very interesting connection here between clinging to the dust and finding revival of our spirits in the Word of God. Did you know that in the Bible, there are only two things that the Lord created that He breathed into? One was dust, the other was His Word. Listen to this, it's just a thought I had this week. When He created mankind, you know the story, right? He gathered together dust. And the Bible says He breathed into it. He breathed into it, and in doing that, he breathed the very essence of life into mankind. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is by inspiration of God. And that Greek word, inspiration, means God breathed. Has life knocked the breath out of you? We have the very breath of God written on pages to put the breath back in us. That's a beautiful thought that I, I thought it was anyway as I was reading through this and thinking about that idea. Because, you know, we want revival. You hear it nowadays. Christendom is always talking about the next great spiritual awakening. And usually what keeps that spiritual awakening from happening is because we are so filled with grief over life. We're grieved because of this, we're grieved because of that. And God is not saying get over it. He's saying, life's knocking the breath out of you, Brian. Put my breath back in you. This is his breath. God breathed word, inspired. When you read God's Word, are you reading it because it's interesting or because it is inspirational? It is literally God's breath, God's life being put back into you. What do you count on to revive you? There's a lot of things that people go to to look for inspiration, to look for revival. Music. Hey, I like music. I like music as much as the next guy. And and music can inspire us often. But it will never be the lasting inspiration that God's word can bring. Nothing wrong with music. But it won't bring that last inspiration. How about your favorite preacher on TV? Do you turn him on every week because you're looking to be inspired? Listen, our youth just got back from youth camp. And I want to tell you, as awesome as the camp was, and it was awesome. I've heard all about it the last couple of days. It wasn't because of the camp. And it wasn't because of the speaker, and it wasn't because of the music. It's because for five days, you guys were immersed in God's Word. Let me tell you, when you have that kind of isolated opportunity to have God's Word poured into you, you can't help 
be inspired. Be revived in the Spirit. How about, uh, how about a vacation? We all like to look on the internet and look at some beautiful places that may, we might like to go. We want to go to this beach or we want to go to this mountainside or this and that because it's God's creation and God's creation will inspire us. See, God's creation wasn't meant to inspire us. It was meant to direct us to the one who inspires. It directs us back to God's word. God himself. How about supplements? <laughs> Listen, as good as your Advocare and Plexus or whatever it is you take, your supplements cannot revive you. They cannot inspire you. There's only one thing that can revive us. True revival comes when we apply God's inspired, breathed out word into our lives. Are you reading God's word for both instruction and inspiration or just information and interest? There's a big difference. And it comes from the idea of submission. Like this author says, he says, I choose the way of your, tr your truth. I cling to to your testimonies. I will run the course of your commandments. And then he ends this psalm, and he, or this section, and he says, for you shall enlarge my heart. The idea behind that phrase is that when our heart is enlarged, this is not the medical condition of a, an enlarged heart, right? It's a spiritual condition. And when God enlarges our heart, you know what that does? It gives us the ability to deal with things that we could have never dealt with in our Life, relationships, loss, grief. Lord, I need you to breathe life back into me. And this is where it is. It is God's word. We need revival. We need God to revive us. We need God to breathe life back into us. But here's the thing. is We cannot be revived if we've never been vived. Have you ever heard that phrase? I've heard that a few times. We cannot receive revival of life from God if we've never had life from God. And that's the biggest instruction that we will get from God's Word. Is we must submit our lives in total to Him. Surrendering it to Him as Lord and Savior. Not bits and pieces, but totally and completely. Salvation occurs... When we say, I am a sinner and I need you, Jesus, to save me. We pray and we ask him in faith, trusting him totally and completely. Have you done that? We're going to have a time of invitation and we'll just give you an opportunity to respond. Our musicians are going to come and lead us in a song. However the Lord may be leading you during this time, we pray that you would respond to him in obedience. Would you bow with me now in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, how it breathes life into us. Because life knocks the breath out of us sometimes. Uh, not sometimes, it seems like all the time. And just all the more, Lord, we can go running to your word. And finding that inspiration, that revival that we need. And finding how it enlarges our heart, gives us the ability to deal with life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sufficiency of your word. Lord, I pray that you would move in our lives at this moment. You would work in us exactly how we each individually 
need to respond to you. And it is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you?